if you have your Bibles, um, I'm going to be starting in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2. A couple of weeks ago, as really as an aside, I, I talked about um, praying and, and uh, uh, thinking, well, if the Lord will give us anything we ask, um, well, I just saw this advertisement for a new Maserati, and, and that's what I'm going to pray for. Well, I, I'm proud to, to let you all know that I am now the proud owner of a Maserati. A Maserati. Um, uh, so... <laughs> Someone, due to the kindness of one of our members, someone purchased a Maserati for me, and um, here it is. <laughs> Doors open. It actually runs a little bit when you draw it backwards. It's, uh, I even like the color. So thank you, Nate McEnany. In our <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been, you know, you just think it can't get really any worse. Um, this has been another eventful week, hasn't it, in, in the life of our country? Um, uh, if there wasn't enough societal unrest and political polar- polarization, a whole new layer of, of turmoil was added with the passing um, of the Supreme Court Justice, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so um, certainly our, our condolences to her family and, and, and just respect for, for her, uh, for who she is and um, uh, while at the same time disagreeing vehemently with um, uh, probably most of the policies that she stood for. But the next two months, as a result of this, um, are, are leading up uh, to the election, promised to be, if it's even possible, more heated than previously. So when we think about the season of life um, that the country is in, when we think of the season of life that the church is in, I think uh, we can try to to, um, characterize it as it is a season of unusual adversity. It is a time um, from a a Christian vantage point. It, It is a time of testing. It is a time of refinement. Um, for God's people. So what is he doing? Well, he's bringing, uh, the Lord is sovereign over all of these things. This is all part of his plan. And we know, um, the Bible tells us that when these times of testing uh, come into our lives, that that the Lord's desire and purpose is to use this for the good of his people, to purify us to show us where our idols are, the things that we're trusting in that are not God, and to remind us that God truly is God, that this is where our trust uh, must be. So we're continuing through the series on, on truths for tough times. In week one, we just talked about the necessity of being united, the necessity of, um, of unity, Last week, we talked about the necessity of prayer, that each of us need to be praying. We need to be on our knees on a daily basis um, and and in our own private um, time, in our private lives. And today, um, I'm continuing, and this is kind of a, a parallel sermon to last week's. We have to be in the Word. We have to be reading our Bibles And what I'm really interested in 
is this need that we have. So if you think about um, some of the results of the adversity, um, I think most of you have, have either experienced this or, or seen this in others, and, and that is there is a, a weariness. Um, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's an emotional weariness because of all the things that are taking place around us and, and the difficulties of conversations around these topics. Um, it's draining. It's, it's creating weariness. And it's also creating fear, okay? It's also creating fear uh, about what this means. We, we're, it feels like we're heading into uncharted territory um, in um, uh, the life of the nation. Um, and, and then we're not sure how this is going to play out in terms of our own um, uh, individual lives and households. We, and, and get, thinking about that weariness and fear, well, what is it we need? We need to be renewed. We need for the Lord to continue to do his transforming work within us, renewing our hearts and our minds. And the Lord speaks to this. And and so we're going to look at this in Romans um, chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to begin in verse um, 2. I'm not going to stop there, but uh, we're going to look at several passages uh, in this uh, sermon. So if you would rise for the standing, just out of respect uh, for God and for the reading of his word. This is Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, these are dark and confusing times. We need our hearts and minds to be renewed, and so we pray that your spirit would fill this place, that your spirit would fill the homes wherever this service is being viewed. And we pray that we would grow in love and wisdom and grace, not just for our good, but for your greater glory. We ask it for the sake of the Savior who died for us. Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is is beginning this section on kind of uh, practical application of things that he has previously, of the doctrines he has previously worked through in the the, uh, first 11 chapters of the letter to the Romans. In the context, the Apostle is talking about having the world's way of thinking, uh, which inevitably results in a world's kind of behaving. <laughs> so the world's thinking leads to the world's attitudes and the world's behaving. In the world of computer programming, there is a saying, garbage in equals what? Garbage out. Okay, garbage in equals garbage out. By that phrase is meant that if you feed a computer Um, just uh, nonsensical data, you are inevitably, positively, going to get a nonsensical outcome every time. And similarly, when we are filling our minds primarily primarily with the headline news, (laughs) Uh, when we are uh, filling our minds with the evening broadcast news, where, you know, it used to be, I don't know if it's still true, but the motto was, if it bleeds, it leads. 
or if you're just spending hours um, just either online or on the radio listening to talk shows that often focus on everything that's wrong. And, you know, in there, all the individuals and groups who are responsible for all that is wrong. Or if you are glued to social media, which is so powerful today in dictating uh, fads and fashions, or just simple entertainment in terms of movies and YouTube and TikTok and TV, even the world of sports has become commercialized and politicized um, uh, in our environment. We're living in a time where we are being inundated with media. And now the world's messaging is as close to us as our smartphones. This is a whole, you know, we're like the frog in the kettle, and it's happened in in a way that we, we may not recognize how new, how pervasive, how strange our way of life would be compared to those who lived 100 years ago. We are swimming in the world's messaging. And one unhappy result of all this is a significant increase in a breakdown across the board of mental health. We have seen mental health plummet. And it is especially have been, has been noticed among uh, the younger population and, and especially teenagers. Mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicide have all increased since the advent of social media, and it has jumped since the creation of the smartphones. And there have been some studies showing that in addition to this reality that was already the case prior to uh, the COVID-19, those factors have just recently, once again, increased and jumped in the last five months uh, with the um, stay-at-home orders and the isolation and all the restrictions that have been connected uh, with the COVID-19. The Apostle Paul explicitly tells us in the form of a command do not be conformed to this world. Now, when we talk about the world's messaging, and it is a gutter, <laughs> I think we'd all agree with this, um, most of us, we need to say something here. We, we need to understand that so much of the world's messaging and the, and the pervasiveness of, of what it, the content of the messaging, it's both just the inundation of it, but it's also the content we need to not think of um, non-believers as stupid. We need not think of them as being illogical or unreasonable. So much of the, the difference that we hear in the world around us from what we hear in the church is because of our starting points. If you are starting from a position of unbelief, there is no God. We're just here because of random forces. There is no afterlife. There is no objective morality. Morality is just a social construct. If you are starting with, a, with your presupposition being there is no God, all that is is just what we can see and, and test with our, um, the senses, um, if that's your starting point, it's going to lead you inevitably into positions and values and positions and a morality that is radically opposed to 
the very same uh, to those, the values and the perspectives and the morality and the hope that flows out of the scriptures. So much of the difference that we're experiencing, it's not a difference of education or, uh, or this person's smarter than that person. It's a matter of your starting points that often go unacknowledged. The apostle tells us, do not be conformed to this world. It's not just even the messaging. We think about what is it that the world is telling us over and over. It's filling us with the world's values, its thinking, its philosophy, the world's lusts, its pride, its anger and vanity, its unbelief, its pessimism, its despair. It's all underneath and it's all laced in so much of the messaging that we are receiving. Just as with computers, so with the human soul. Garbage in equals garbage out. Step one, <laughs> get your minds, get your eyes, get your hearts and ears out of the world's gutter. Okay. Now, I recognize there, we, much of this is just inescapable. That's right. Okay, it's inescapable. But we can begin to, God has given us brains. He's given us the ability to think through these issues. He's given us the ability to think through how can we limit our media intake? You know, in some cases, we need to be connected. We need to understand what's happening. We need to know the issues that are in the world so that we can talk about these with some kind of knowledge and intelligence. Um, but at the same time, if, you, if all day all you are getting is the world's messaging, you are going to begin to, you're, you're going to experience mental disorder and fragmentation uh, and decline. Garbage in equals garbage out. Instead, we need to value the word of God. And under this heading, if, you're, if you have your um, outlines, um, under this heading, Roman numeral uh, number two, I want to work through four truths to help strengthen our convictions about our need to be filled, for our minds to be filled with God's thoughts, our minds to be filled with, the, um, with God's word and his perspective of the world, his understanding of who we are, of our need for Christ, of the great and precious promises that, that he has revealed to us and given to us in his word. So my first point on why we must value the word is this. No book can do so much for those who read it rightly. Okay? Not, there's not a single book out of all the libraries in, in the world that will do as much for you, that will benefit you in the same way that God's written word will do. And here's my presupposition. The Bible is the written word of God, okay? The Bible is the written word of God. Again, going back to Romans 12 too, on the one hand, we're told to refuse to be conformed to this world, this passing evil age, the Bible says, a world that is un, you know, whose God is the devil, is Satan. And on the other hand, we are to be transformed. 
He just says it this way, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be changed. That word transformed is a very strong and vivid word. It's that word metamorpho. It's the same word used um, that's um, uh, uh, translated as transfigured when Jesus is, is transfigured in, on the mountain uh, with his three disciples. And Jesus is our best example of what this means. In the wilderness where he was fasting, after 40 days of fasting, he successfully resists and rejects the multiple appeals and temptations of the world that came through the devil. He did not conform to the world. And instead, what does he model for us? He models how he was meditating on the word of God. In each of those three temptations that are given to us, how does Jesus respond? It's just immediate. We see it's the word of God that comes out as he counters the devil's temptations each on each um, occasion. And this correlates with the resolute desire of Jesus to do the will of his Father, which ultimately led to the cross, followed by the resurrection and his enthronement at the right hand of God the Father. The apostle tells us that the key to this transformation and the ability to resist the allure, the pull of the world, is by what he terms the renewal of the mind. This is what we need. We need that fresh wind to bring renewal. And just as the body is renewed on a daily basis through regular meals and exercise, in the same way, the mind, we're told, is to be renewed by the word of God. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus simply says, sanctify them, referring to his disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you how? Richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Imagine you travel away from home for a couple weeks, two, three weeks, and you come home and and your home hasn't been opened up, and, and uh, you open that door, and you can just smell that the air is so stagnant. Sometimes you can smell the dust and the contaminants in, in, in the home. And on a, you know, a day like yesterday, what happens when you throw up the windows and allow that fresh, you know, low-humidity autumn air just kind of flow through the home? It just cleanses it. It, it, um, it transforms Uh, the indoors, uh, the air inside the home. And this is what we need within our hearts and our minds. And this is what the word does as we allow it to fill us. We need to be filled with the word of God. We need to read the Bible. And not only can no other book do so much for those who read it rightly, in terms of renewing and changing us, it is the only standard by which all questions of faith and life can be determined, okay? It is our standard um, by which the questions of faith and life are determined. So we're going to talk about the Bible now under the category, it is our standard. It is um, our highest authority. 
and it is sufficient to address um, either directly or at least giving us the principles on how to approach those important um, subjects connected to our life and faith in this world. When it speaks to issues of morality and ethics, when it speaks to issues concerning God and Christ, faith and salvation, the Bible alone speaks with a divine and perfect authority. We can have assurance that what the Bible declares to be true is consistent with both the character of God and the objective nature of reality in this world. It is the only place that we can go to with that kind of assurance in its trustworthiness and authority. It doesn't mean that, you know, everything that the Bible um, uh, teaches is easy to understand. Um, and, And if this really is the product of an omniscient God, we would not expect everything in it <laughs> to be um, easy and, and, and uh, easily accessible to us. In fact, we would expect it to, to be the kinds of teaching that would keep our most brilliant minds at work for an entire lifetime in both wonder and awe as they seek and search out and mine the truths and the riches of God's word. But the things that are clear, and there are many that are just straightforward, the Ten Commandments, for instance, or the basic plan of salvation through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These are issues that even young children can grasp. There's no other book in the, in the world that speaks with the authority and as comprehensively on these matters of life and faith as the Scriptures. Again, Romans 12, 2, if you continue on, it tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Why? So that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, when it talks about that we might know the will of God, it's not saying, you know, that there's this, it's not talking so much about the hidden will, the, the things that, you know, should I take this job or not? What it's showing us is that the Bible is full of clarity on subjects concerning human nature, who God is, what God requires of us, um, how we are saved, how we are to grow in that faith, the duties that are required of us as Christian believers towards one another, towards the outside world, in terms of our purpose of the church, to equip the saints, to disciple the nations. All of these are part of God's will. And, and the apostle says, test that will. Put it into practice. See if it doesn't result in good um, results and blessings within your life. This tells us that as our minds are renewed, we will be able to put the word of God to the test. And it means that as we are confronted with the difficult issues of the day, questions about racism or marriage and gender or politics or how we should conduct ourselves in difficult issues, both with one another or with those who are diametrically opposed to us, the question we need to keep coming back to is, what does the Bible say about this? 
That's got to be our starting point as we begin to navigate these difficult topics. What do the scriptures say? And granted, that's not always going to be easy or direct, but that needs to be our starting point. What does the Bible say? In Acts, the Berean Christians are commended. In Acts 17.11, we read this. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Well, why were they considered? They're commended. What? why? Because they received the word, that is, the word that was preached to them by the apostles, with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Bereans are praised because they tested what they heard with their own reading of the scriptures. And this indicates, and this is just another way, you know, I'm sure most of these brand Christians were probably not all that well educated, but they could read and they could hear the word of God and they could begin to examine. They could begin to think through, are the things that I'm hearing consistent with the word of God? What does the word of God say about these important topics? And again, as we come to the scriptures, the scriptures do not speak to every issue. They're not designed to speak to every issue directly. If they did, the Bible would be tens of thousands of pages long, of course. So, but there are many issues it does speak directly. And on the ones that, they, that the scriptures do not speak directly to, it provides us principles. It provides us with these kinds of principles as a way to how we can think about topics that are um, uh, unaddressed. Third, we should value the Bible because the scriptures are our food and our delight. Okay, Our food and our delight. That is, just as the analogy is pretty simple, as the body requires food and nourishment to be renewed, in the same way our souls desperately necessitate the intake of God's word as our spiritual food and nourishment. When tempted by the devil in the wilderness, it's not an accident that Jesus always responds by appealing to the word of God. And in one of those responses in Matthew 4, 4, we read, he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus is saying is, as important as food is, the more important, the higher priority to our well-being is the food and nourishment that comes from God's word. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Again, just to, to emphasize this idea, you think of infants and how they cry out for, uh, uh, for milk. This is the, Peter saying this should be the nature of our hunger this universal mark of the believer. It's not just our food, but it is also our delight. We sang about this earlier from Psalm chapter 1, where we read, but his delight, or her delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law, 
he meditates day and night. How, how often are we to be allowing the word to fill us and, and to guide and, and to be a part of our thoughts? Day and night, the psalmist says, as he describes the one who is blessed, the, the man and, and woman of wisdom. And again, this love of the scriptures is modeled by none other than Jesus himself. He read it publicly. At the center of his, his ministry was teaching and preaching the word of God. He quoted it regularly as his highest authority in settling matters with the religious leaders. And this is the model we should follow. You know, you think about the most influential, impactful saints in all history. How many of them were known for their delight in the word of God? Let me just name some of these heroes of the faith. Athanasius, Chrysostom, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Knox, the English Puritans, Edwards, um, Whitfield, Spurgeon, Ryle, Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's for you, Joe Yost. James Boyce, John Stott. R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer. These are all individuals who had an amazing impact, and every one of them delighted in the word of God. We need to be filled with God's word. And the fourth reason we should value the word of God, because God's promises provide the most comfort in times of adversity and death. The most comfort in times of adversity and death. I have been with a significant number now of of both men and women, either in adversity, but I'm thinking especially just prior to to their deaths. And I can tell you in most of those cases, what they want to hear is the scriptures read. They want to hear their favorite psalms They want to hear the great promises. They want to talk. You know what they want to talk about? They want to talk about God's forgiveness in Christ. They want to talk about God's love, God's presence, and God's promises of the life to come. So often these, I mean, there are lots of topics we talk about, just ordinary things too, about life and family and and so forth. But we always come back to these great and precious promises of the word. In Genesis 48, um, verses 3 and 4, Joseph and his two sons have gone to be with their elderly father, Jacob, who is now on his deathbed, very close to the end. By the end of his 147 years of life, Jacob has accomplished much. And you could imagine things that he would want to talk about from his deathbed. He could talk about how, you know, by God's grace, but also by his kind of resilience and and determination and hard work, he had amassed a lot of wealth over the, the course of his life. He could talk about that. He could talk about how God had blessed him with lots of sons and, and a daughter, 13 children. He could talk about that. He could talk about, you know, meeting important figures like Pharaoh himself or that his, one of his sons was the second most powerful person in, in all of Egypt. But I want you to hear what he actually, the very first words that are recorded from the patriarch Jacob on his deathbed. 
He's speaking um, uh, to Joseph, and he says this in Genesis 48, verses 3 and 4. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And God said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. What's on the heart of of Jacob? It's God's promises to him. It's God's word that came to him earlier in life. And this became his his prize, his treasure, his joy and comfort, even as he is on his deathbed. Well, what's implied in those promises? Well, what's implied is God loves Jacob. Jacob is special to God. God is with Jacob. God has made Jacob and and woven Jacob's life. And Jacob knows at this point that he is undeserving. And if you read the whole thing, he is undeserving. And in spite of his, his unworthiness, God has threaded the life of Jacob into this grand narrative concerning the kingdom of God. And this forms Jacob's deepest comfort on his deathbed. And what was true of Jacob remains true for us as well. Promises remind us that God is faithful, that God is present, that God loves his people, that God has promises and will be God to us, not only in this life, but in the life to come, where he promises to include us as co-heirs of an eternal kingdom. Promises to be reunited with the saints, with family and friends that have gone before us, and ultimately to be in the presence of Jesus himself. Are these not the the things that bring us most comfort? A couple promises that I often use in times of adversity and death. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or how powerful is Isaiah 43? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I can tell you, when I read these promises, you can see the power and the comfort that this brings. I'll come back to thoughts on how we can practically read the Bible. I'll do that in some blogs this week, so be looking for that. But let me just conclude. In this time of turmoil and testing, let us refuse to be conformed to this world. Let's refuse to be catechized by the world and instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to be men and women of the word. Well, let's pray. Enable us, O oh Lord, to cherish your word in humble and believing hearts that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we may have hope, a hope that the world knows nothing of. 
sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. By your word, strengthen your people and grant that we would have wisdom and discernment in a time of confusion and darkness. By your wisdom, may we be able to stand for righteousness and at the same time love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Lord, give us the peace that comes only from you, that we may pass the remainder of this day and the days to come in peace of heart and bring us in the end to dwell in your house, O Lord, forever through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.